Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. All right, let's start podcasting. Hello, everyone. Uh, this is Andy Richter, and you are listening to The Three Questions. And I uh, today is one of those days uh, that is my favorite because I just get to talk to an old friend, uh, pry into their personal life, uh, ask them all kinds of uncomfortable questions that I would never have the nerd nerve to ask outside of a podcast. Uh, but I'm talking to the very, very funny uh, writer, actor, um, dad, producer, uh, commercial spokesman, uh, John Glazer. Hi. Commercial spokesman. Didn't you do John from Delocated for a product of some kind? Oh, well, that was a while ago. Yeah, that was like a, just that was a one-off thing for Delocated. What was it? Like it was pizza or something, wasn't it? No, the Subway. Subway, Subway. Yeah, we did some kind of like promotion with Subway where we shot like a delocated character was as if the character got hired to be the spokesman for Subway. Right. And so we did a few spots. I think they only aired on Adult Swim, but it was pretty stupid and pretty fun. And it was like kind of like you're seeing the commercial get filmed, but then they actually put them on the air. It was really funny. (laughs) And now did Subway actually pay for it? Yeah. Oh, see, that's it's awesome. hilarious. They were, yeah, they, awesome. they had to approve it. There's so many weird things uh, like with advertising where they will occasionally put up money to do something just kind of weird that doesn't make any sense. And it's just the best. It is like when Tim and Eric did, I think something, what was it for purple mattresses? And they just got to do these Tim and Eric style spots. And it was yeah. just great. Like more or, or absolute vodka, the ones with Zach Galifianakis. And they're all wearing like beehive wigs. Oh yeah. Because there's so much like corporate fear about, Ooh, that's going to be frowned upon. This is a hard tangent, but it makes me think of, I remember when we were, when I, I don't know if you were still at, were you still at Kona when Bob Dole was on yes. as a guest? At least once. I just remember it was after the election, after, after he lost. Yeah. He came on the show and he was hilarious. Yeah. He's very funny and very he charismatic. Just, he just dropped any pretense of being a politician yeah. talking in that way. And it's just, I remember thinking that if he had just done that, he might've won Yeah, because yeah. he was, he was himself. He was. And so much along that line, like there should be more weird spots. I mean, there's yeah. plenty, I guess now there are more, you know, cinematically looking really cool. And one of my dreams is to just make it like an aspirin commercial. Like it's not comedy. <laughs> it's just, and people are like, what is that Glazer? Yeah. Is this, is this a joke thing? I don't, I don't, I never, just, and then it's just not, it's just, an I never saw commercial. the video for it, I, but Will Ferrell, you know, those like, I think they're called like Troy built brush mowers that you'd see ads for late at night. And it's like a big, you know, it's like a big lawnmower thing, but it like cuts down brush. And 
I can't, I don't know if he got to do it or not, but he approached them and <laughs> said like, let me be in it in one of these just cutting brush with no, like no billing and no nothing. Like just so that people would be watching this and be like, Hey, that's Will Ferrell cutting brush. And I can't remember if they let him do it or not, or if I just imagined it in my mind because, Oh my God, it would make me so happy Yes, for him to do that. Yeah. Now let me, let me admit, I want to just interject with this because I actually just wrote, I saw a commercial literally in this past week. I think I was watching a game and there's a commercial for this dog food company called Fresh Pet. Yeah. And the commercial was like seniors and their senior dogs. And right. the commercial was like seniors and their senior dogs guy and his little pug and they're doing yoga together and the dog's like sitting up on its hind legs. And I remember watching and you know, you can see the sheath of its penis. No one right. gives a shit about that. That's just a dog. Uh, I'm telling you, like, I know I'm into it. I mean, listen, we all, yeah, yeah, sure. Well, listen, you see in the commercial, in the commercial, like I noted, one of the first things I noticed is just because you see the guy and it's got his name next to it, his head on the screen, like William 79. And then the pug, like Charlie nine. So your eye goes to like the, like the, the, the idea of the guy down to the idea of the dog. And you can't not notice the the sheath, and also the red tip of his red dick is sticking out <laughs> in a, a little doggy lipstick. Yes, yeah. And I remember watching, going, "What the <laughs> fuck? Nobody noticed that." The DP, somebody the noticed it, and the they client, let it go. Clearly, like, there's no way that gets through. Yeah, that many levels, including the edit. Yep. Where I thought. I hope that I hope they left that in. I On hope purpose. that was just like yeah, a yeah. fuck it. Fuck it. Leave it in. Yeah. No yeah. one's gonna care. It made me laugh so hard. And then I like couldn't help myself. I wrote the company, like, hey, I want to make you aware that <laughs> the dirty red tip of this dog's filthy dick is sticking out. And I I don't need to see that when I'm watching whatever. And so I've sent these like stupid emails and I'm waiting for a response. <laughs> and you haven't heard back? Well, I got in touch with someone because there's a live chat. So I had a live chat, sent this really long, stupid like message. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, I'm in the business. I know how this works. I know the <laughs> chain of command. The things have to go through. You're going to tell me no one spotted this? Yeah, this is Better. not an accident. Yeah. And then I ended it by saying, at the, all that said, I hope this was intentional. <laughs> 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 and, you know, and so I sent that email. And then I actually got a response that included like just pitch script, like, thanks for reaching out. You know, our customers love the high quality of fresh yeah. pet. Like, and I'm like, and I wrote back, I'm not looking for a stock answer. I want to know how this dog's red dick <laughs> ended up on screen on TV. <laughs> I, I'm not, I think it's probably you get, you know, it causes a, a good association in the consumer's mind, you know? Yeah. My dog's happy. Yeah. Excitement, you know. Red is a festive color. Mm -hmm. And know. it's also just natural. These are, yeah. you're the type of dog owner that wants the best for your pet and you're right. going to roll with that kind of thing. That's right. And also that dog's old. God bless him that he's still, he's still, you know, still managing to get that lipstick un Absolutely. unfurled. Yeah. You should feel actually like you should feel good about it. And you know, it's a byproduct of this high quality food. Yeah. You know, I actually, a, a frequent 
criticism of this podcast is that we talk about dog dicks all the time, right at the top of the show, <laughs> like 80% of the time. I am people just, you know, bring it up, uh, you know, dog dicks, you know, it's uh, kind of, it's a, it's a pretty, like, it makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Meredith Vieira, she couldn't stop talking about dog dicks when she was on this thing. And it's always at the top. It's at the top. I don't, it's weird. It's weird. It's at the tip. It's at the tip of the podcast. Oh, yeah. Just peeking out right at the front. Mm. At the, red, the red dick of the podcast. This is the yeah. podcast's red dick is the beginning. <laughs> the tip of it. It's just sticking out. And then when you get deeper, you realize what's really going on underneath. Under, yeah. Oh, that's a good one. Underneath the sheath. <laughs> beneath the sheath i think you just got you just pitched your own podcast beneath the sheath yeah or should it be apostrophe apostrophe neat neath the sheath <laughs> it depends on if you're going trying to go highbrow or trying to be more folksy True. good point well let's uh start at your beginning you're from michigan why why am i from michigan yeah I guess that would be because, um, you know, the grandparents kind of ended up there yeah. and had their children in Michigan. Mm -hmm. And, uh, that's where I, that's where I was pushed out was in Michigan. That's correct. Yeah. I was just testing you. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and you were, it's kind of outside of Detroit, right? It was a Detroit suburb, uh, yeah. called Southfield, which is yeah. it's not that far out. It's only about a half hour. Um, it wasn't rural. It's not like when you really get out of. The suburbs, it's pretty rural country, especially up north in Michigan. It's yeah. Do you have, yeah, I think you have a sister. Do you have a sister or? I do have a sister. Maggie. And it's just the two of you? Just the two of us. Yeah. She's two and a half years younger. She's still in Michigan. Yeah. My dad passed away in 2016, but he was in Michigan. My stepmom's still there. My mom's still there. Stepdad. So my immediate family is there. Does it still feel like home when you go back? It does. And especially my mom lives in a town called Ann Arbor, which is uh -huh. where I went to, to college. The University of Michigan is there. And I really love Ann Arbor. It's such a beautiful city. It's a really cool town once you get into the college campus and all that. And then the further out you get, it's just gorgeous. And yeah. so I really like getting back. I haven't been back. I don't know if I've been back since the pandemic, but uh, I think they've been out to visit. But yeah, I haven't been back in a while, but I do really love Ann Arbor. Yeah. And it does feel like, and I'll, I'll, I don't think I'll ever feel like a New Yorker, even though I think I've lived here now just about the same amount of time or maybe more than I lived in Michigan. Yeah. But I don't think I'll ever fully feel like I'm a New Yorker. Yeah. It's just, uh, I still feel like this is where I'm from, like sports teams. That's just all Detroit. Yeah. You know, it's weird to think about how long I've been here. It's very strange. Mm-hmm. Do you think that you have like a, there's a Midwesternism to sort of, to you and how you kind of, you know, especially like being in show business? Uh, I know it's kind of, I mean, the first thing that makes me think of, it's not so much like a personality trait or a mindset or anything like that. It's just, I'm always aware of the, my, just my Midwest accent when it pops. Yeah. Yeah. You know, in ways that I'm, I almost feel like i try to be aware of it because i don't like like hard consonants like yeah. hard farm socks yeah when i first moved here to new york i th or maybe no it was after I, I first moved here for in 96 and then i moved back in 98 when i got hired at conan and i remember going 
for whatever reason, I just was looking for socks. And I thought, I live near an Urban Outfitters and just thought, oh, I bet they have some decent socks there. I don't know why. I thought, yeah, Urban Outfitters socks. But I went there and I, you know, there's these two like young, like teens or late teens working there. I'm like, go approach me. It was a young man and a young woman. And I said, you guys carry socks? And both of them, in a second, both went, socks, socks. Do we have socks? Just started fucking <laughs> ripping me and my Midwest accent. And I was so, I'm like, fuck you, say socks. Let me hear you say socks. But I'm sure it popped behind. Yeah. So I was traumatized and then I hide, I hide my accent, but I'll still hear it pop yeah. here and there, even with the word. I'll do the same thing where I'll hear it sometimes and I'll, and I especially hear it, you know, like when I talk to my siblings that live back in Illinois and I'll hear, <laughs> you know, like my sister talk about her dad, you know, and, and, <laughs> and then I find myself too, when I go back, I fall right. But I mean, I have a thing where I end up talking like the person that I'm talking to. I don't know if it's like an actor thing or just cause like, it's fun to talk in accents so, oh, or if <laughs> it's like it, right? You know, like an urge, which is also an actor thing. It's just you know that yeah, that kind of urge. Just do bits and yeah, characters. And, well, and you know, also it's I, just, to yeah. put the person at ease. I think at first I'm like I'm hearing the accent, and I think on some subconscious I'm thinking, oh, can I can I talk like that? And then I start to mimic it, and then and then it's also kind of like, oh, we, they think I'm one of them, whatever them is, you know, um, or they think. This fucking asshole is mocking me <laughs> to my face. Socks. Socks. Holy shit, man. I yeah. mean, it really was funny as hell, even though I was so annoyed. But God damn. Socks. <laughs> going to the fam. <laughs> Fuckers. Like they didn't yeah. have an accent. Oh, God damn it. It was so fucking infuriating. But it yeah. was very. Did you grow up being a big fan of comedy? I mean, I know, I know sports is like a huge, a huge presence in your life. Yeah, man. Like so you're one of my, the. I got my bad boys hat on. I see that the Detroit no bad boys. What is that? Um, is that just generally all Detroit teams, or? No, their 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 basketball team, their professional basketball team, is called the Pistons. And yes, they won back to back championships in the late eighties, right? Early with 90s. Dennis Rodman and Rodman, Isaiah Thomas, yeah, Bill Ambeer, yeah. Rick Mahorn, and they played a very physical style of that brand of basketball. And they became known as the bad boys. And mm. uh, that was their nickname. And there was like a Rolling Stone magazine cover with Bill Lambeer and Rick Mahorn, like wearing like black muscle tees and sunglasses and like holding the deflated ball in the rim and like looking tough, bad boys. And it just became their persona. And it's so dumb, but I love it. It's so funny. Yeah, yeah. I'll actually tell a very quick story. It's really stupid. But so when I was in college, I think it was my senior year when they won their first championship. I think it was 89 or 90. And they had, so this guy that I just mentioned, Rick Mahorn, if you don't know him, he was like a real like bruiser type basketball player. I remember, I, I, I remember uh, 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 what he looked like, you know? Yeah. He was a tough player. I loved him. You know, yeah. he's not like the most skilled guy, but a really good basketball player, but physical, he was a force. And after the Pistons, won their first championship, there was an expansion draft. I think it might have been for Toronto. doesn't matter. So each team had to leave one or two players unprotected, and the Pistons left Mahorn unprotected. And the rat, whoever, whatever team took them, 
And I was so mad because he was one of my favorite players. But I'm not like a 10-year-old kid. I'm a like 20, 21-year-old adult. And yeah. like, what? I can't believe they, they left him. Just getting like petulantly mad. And at the time, I was keeping a journal that I would maybe do an entry in like once every three months. Like just not even a good job of keeping a journal. But I was so mad. And I have this journal, I think, somewhere in storage. Yeah. I hope I do. Because I, I, I did a journal entry about it. Oh my God, I can't believe the, this happened. Like the Pistons just won their back to their first championship and they left Rick Mahorn unprotected and, and he got taken up by this other team. I mean, we're the bad boys and he's the baddest. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote that. I yeah. wrote that. Like, unironically. Unironically, like all capitals. Like if you were to, if you were to open it, you'd probably see it's like aggressive uh-huh. and writing, like angry. We're the bad boys and he's the baddest. <laughs> God damn it. And I think it was maybe the first year of the pandemic. And my friend got me a Rick Mahorn cameo for my birthday. And so I just have that video on my phone that I'll watch every now and then. And it's just, just to so make yourself weird. happy. Oh, it's so funny. Yeah. It's so funny. And then I do, I, when I was even, when I was very little uh, or much, you know, I think it was in early high school. I actually did see Rick Mahorn in the car in traffic, like in suburban in Southfield where I grew up. And I remember kind of like, if, so if you're Rick Mahorn and this is me, this is what he sees, you know, like some little kid, I was probably low in the seat, you know, and just kind of like sitting in traffic and I look over and like, so he sees a kid recognize him and he, you could tell he like, didn't give a shit. He's like, yeah, oh, but he, but he can't be a dick. And he just kind of went like, like with this, like begrudging, like smiling, yeah, like, like, yeah. like, all right, That's right. <laughs> happy, like, to, and, and I was so like, oh, he didn't want to do that. Well, he's not a good boy. He's a bad boy. He's a bad boy. He's a bad boy. And you were a good boy and he, yeah. you're natural enemies. When good boy meets bad boy. I'm Phoebe Judge, host of the podcast, This Is Love. Stories about love and all of the surprising forms it can take. Like a man who finds a baby on a subway platform. A woman who spends most of her time alone until a fox starts coming around. And in one of my favorite episodes, we meet a man who forgot his wife and had to get to know her and fall in love all over again. Listen to new episodes of This Is Love wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm comedian Eliza Schlesinger, and I've got my podcast, Ask Eliza Anything, where you can submit me your burning life questions, and I will give you real advice. Go to Denver, be young, get you a black lab named Bailey, and she'll be like, well, then just have it anyway, and then you'll be like, it tastes like blood, please don't. We moved. We moved, and my husband died. I'm not here. I died, too. You know, when people's like, happy holidays from the Thompsons, what they're really saying is, look how great we look. We're all still alive, and we're all wearing blue jeans. You're looking at us. Listen to Ask Eliza Anything wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm John Lovett, host of Love It or Leave It. Every week, I'm joined live on stage by incredible guests to break down the biggest and dumbest stories in politics and pop culture. And now, because there's too much news for just one show, join me and my friends, also known as beloved producers who have to be there, every Tuesday for a rundown of the latest headlines to help get you through another flawless week in our perfect society. Listen to episodes of Love It or Leave It wherever you get your podcasts, or catch the funniest moments on the Love It or Leave It YouTube channel.
Can't you tell my love's a crow? You are one of the most sort of intense. I mean, of all, you know, like I, everybody that we know is like usually not that much matters to anybody. But you like and I mainly remember it because you and I used to play golf when we lived in New York and you were learning to play golf. And you mm-hmm. used to get so mad because you weren't instantly good at it. And we would always say, like, it was like me and John Benjamin and and Matt oh, Walsh. Sh- and we'd always, who had played longer. And we and we weren't fantastic or anything, but we'd say, like, man, you're just learning. Cut yourself some slack. But you just, I mean, you're just so intense about stuff. And are you like that in, in so many, like, is it hard for you to not be good at something that you really want to be good at? I think it certainly used to be, maybe not so much now, because that is something that I've tried to just work on, like as a person, just whether it's sports or athletics or anything really, where it's just relax, just try to enjoy it. Like I remember that makes me think very specifically of right when I got the Conan job, um, they, they had this Monday, they had this Monday morning basketball game at Chelsea Piers, just the writers. Yeah. I was really excited for that. And I'm, way too competitive when I play and Michael Gordon asked, he, you know, we, it was all the writers. No one's that good. And yeah, most yeah. of us are like, not great, but I'm like yeah, out there a, trying to be competitive. Yeah, some of them actually are just plain old nerds, you know, <laughs> you know, just to have a good time. Yeah. Yeah. And I get pissed off. You know, every time I missed a shot, God damn it. Just, and Michael Gordon, after one of the games, he said, do you even enjoy it? and i remember saying to him like like my first response was what kind of fucking to my i didn't say that's him in my mind i'm like what kind of fucking question is that i love basketball and i just said to him like yeah of course and i remember later going do i (laughs) really started thinking like maybe he's right i am always annoyed and so i don't know over the years and even with whatever i haven't played golf in years but yeah, that that's been a real problem, especially with sports. Why do, why I, do you think? Why do you think that was? I mean, what, do you think like where is it just like a part of your personality? You know, I mean, I don't know. I think there was just you know wanting to be good, yeah, being competitive. I really do genuinely enjoy sports, but I think it was just I don't know what it is. It it it, it must be some kind of insecurity, right? Like. Because you're worried that other people might think you're not good. And, and even if yeah. they do, but even if they do, who gives a shit? Yeah. And, and I mean, and you were surrounded by people, at least when I knew you, who were saying like, you're relax, you know, yeah, like, don't worry about it. This is yeah. an impossible sport. Yeah. Yeah. It is. And I, I think, I think I'm not as intense about that stuff anymore, yeah. but I haven't played golf in a while. I'm sure one bad shot or I don't know, man, I, I do <laughs> think I've maybe relaxed a mellowed yeah tried to kids be helps kids helps to do that kids give you some patience on you know and not to be so well it makes me want like were were you, was there an insistence that you be good at things no i don't recall like my yeah. dad was a very very good basketball player he never put pressure on me to even play sports let alone yeah. like no i don't recall anything like that i think it was just maybe just that's part just, of your makeup yeah, I just yeah. really, and I, you know, I played going into high school, I played, it was wanting to play sports, you know, I'm gonna play soccer, and basketball, and baseball. And I did for the first couple of years. And then my junior year, I didn't play basketball because I wasn't good enough to make varsity. 
Yeah. And then I gave up baseball to try out for a play. So that's where I kind of took that turn into theater. And here we are. And here we are. Well, that, that actually, uh, that leads a question that I was going to say when you started performing, cause you kind of started, you started doing comedy with a group in college and mm-hmm. uh, which I'm sure you don't remember, but I'm telling you, you did. Um, but was it hard for you starting out in comedy? Like, were you hard on yourself when you're learning? Cause I mean, you know, everybody's well, got a bomb when they start. Yeah. More so, you know, I tried doing stand up, and you know that, yeah, if I had like not a good night, I'd be really hard on myself. And it took a very long time for me to just stop giving a shit about that. But yeah, yeah. when I was first starting off, which I think is pretty natural, you want to do well. It doesn't feel good when it doesn't go well. Yeah. And so nothing like that felt too extreme. Um, I don't know if I was extra hard on myself or not. I don't, I don't think so. I mean, when you say that, that was what popped in my head. Like, oh yeah, I guess when I was first starting off, it was, now it's like, whatever. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, it's yeah, just, yeah. But that just comes with experience. Right, exactly. Yeah, you. Uh, that's one of the things that, I like, I don't, I, I, people have a hard time. Well, I mean, there's different philosophies on how to do this kind of stuff, but, but just, you have to get to the point where it doesn't matter that much. You know, like where if, if you got a bad night, especially you know, the doing improv or like doing like the Conan show, you know, if a bit doesn't work, it's not, you know, it's done, it's gone. You know, I, I always used to say it's a, you know, that we were laying track for a train that we could hear coming, you know, there was no time to, to be all precious about anything that would, that would get done. And so, you know, and improv was like that too, because you're not writing a script, like, you, you know, you're just, you're just fucking around. You're just trying stuff. And usually the, the audiences, I think, are kind of, they understand that. And they're they're willing to go along with you, you know. And they know you're just making this up. Although I was always amazed that people, even in Chicago, people would be like, so you guys really just made all that up? And I was like, yeah, it would have been better if we had written it, you know. <laughs> it would have been a lot, a lot, a lot more tightly packaged, so... Yeah, but people that, you know, don't go through, you know, the training and understanding about what it actually takes. I mean, it is. And listen, I will say this before I even, before I talk about improv, I will say that I hate improv talk. It drives me fucking nuts. Like, yep. But at the same time, I get it. Like, it it, it really can be. When you watch people that are good at improv, it's pretty mind blowing. It's really incredible to see. The things that people just come up with on the spot. Some people are just exceptional at it, and it's it's kind of incredible. So, absolutely for an audience, even something that to you you know it's not that great, but for an audience, like oh my god, that's pretty incredible that they just did that. Yeah, yeah. And so it is cool, but yeah. By the same token, very quickly, it's painful to watch bad improv. Oh my mm-hmm. fucking god. It's, it's so there's so much of it now. Like that's what's amazing to me. It's like it it's become a cliche, like that, you know, oh my roommates and roommates in an improv group and we gotta go see it. Like I I'm amazed at how much and you know, and I mean I think a lot of that's the UCB is responsible for a lot of that, I think, you know. Um just because those, you know, the what they did in New York and then, and then in LA for, you know, a short amount of time, I think really made 
everybody who is even sort of half funny go, oh yeah, I, I should go take classes there. I should go get into that, you know? So you're saying that it's, so you're almost like blaming them. Yeah, I am. I am. They're the well, ones. I mean, look, they, they, they created this virus in their lab, in their wet market of comedy, and then it got out <laughs> on the street. And now there's kids everywhere. But that goes back, like, even when I was taking classes at Second City and Improv Olympic, like, you know, there were people that were just, you know, they weren't looking to do this for a living. They were just yeah. there having fun, which, which can be simultaneously like, oh, that's great. And also fucking annoying. And yeah. No one should feel bad for doing it. It's just for people like ourselves, like we're there to really try to do some heightened comedy. And then you got people like, well, let's go make the funny, you know? And that's like, I just, when someone says the phrase, make the funny, you know, I just want to lose my fucking mind. It's just, (laughs) I I hate that. I just think it's so annoying and gross and whatever. I hate, I'm such a judgmental asshole, whatever. It's just... From my experience in Chicago, because I would, some of the different groups that I would work with were, you know, the the levels of everything, whether it's talent or devotion or, you know, commitment to the craft, blah, blah, blah. They varied so much that, you know, where it's like there were people on the stage who's, you know, our household names now with people who are not household names now. And I always found that kind of working, working with the people. Well, there was one group that I was with and there was one performer with our group who was absolutely terrible, but didn't know how terrible they were, but had all the enthusiasm in the world and would go out first for every single thing. And there would be times back, it got to the point where the whole group backstage, this person would go out and everyone in the group would like turn and look at me like, are you, aren't you going to go throw yourself on this grenade? And it was, a, <laughs> it was an interesting, and it, it did usually end up being me that would do it. And it was an interesting experiment because you could just like, smother this person with agreeing with whatever they because it was constant denial 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 of every you know you'd say you know well the ocean looks good today and this person would be like you can't see the ocean from this bakery you know uh, you know well I'd that's say, different then they're then they're just that's fucking annoying yes that and, it was and, annoying and because because it's also if you're not doing it properly like, I don't want to be judgmental and mean to someone that's just there to take the class because yes. they want to have fun. But right. if you're, if you can't even follow the most basic rules of this, then yes. Oh God, that was yeah, that yeah. shit. Yeah. That's pretty annoying. If you smother them with agreement, the audience ends up going like, oh, I see what he's doing and they like it, you know? Yeah. Um, but I never was mad at the person. I was mad at the person that said, yes, you can come get on our stage. You know, like somebody has to tell that person, yeah, you know what, sweetheart, darling, maybe not, this isn't for you, you know, but that's a different conversation too. And now this, it does bring up because you, another thing that you love assholes, like you, so many of your characters are such hilarious, like John from Delocated. Who doesn't love assholes? I know, but I mean, but you in particular, I know what you're saying. 
I know. You know what? You know what I mean? Like, like John okay, that's a located. good sentence. You love ass. <laughs> well, but it's, I mean, but it is like you fall into those characters and you just seem to like, like you're luxuriating in a bath, you know, like just, you know, John from Delocated or the werewolf hunter guy. I can't remember. What was that guy's name? Neon, Neon Joe. Neon Joe. Like just amazing. Like, just like, like so hilariously jerky, you know, and, and do, <laughs> do, do you end up like finding assholes in your life? Like, like someone that even approaches John from Delocated or Neon Joe. I mean, although Neon Joe is so bizarre, um, but do you, do you like find people like that in life and then kind of study them and take notes on them and sort of soak up their assholishness? No, I've never done anything like that. I, I'm, I'm not that deep of an actor as far as, you know, unless yeah. I got a job where it's just doing something very specific. I just, you know, I just find that caricature and that type of character funny. I, I've, I've thought about it plenty. Like, why do I think that's so funny? Why am I so good at it? You know, I'm actually, I, I, I've had a book idea about like, why am I, why am I good at being an asshole? Like, I think there's something funny about thinking about that, why it comes so easily to me. But at the same time, I just think it's, it's good comedy. You know, you get to say all yeah. the great lines that are so obnoxious. It's a really fun attitude to play, you know, this high stakes, you know, the smug, confident. I was talking, you know, Conan and I very much shared that affinity for, you know, the overconfident douchebag. Yeah. Uh, you know, that does not have the brain power to back up the attitude. Um, yeah. I, I excel at playing assholes. <laughs> and it's, well, it's funny. What's funny to me is that it's like so many of them, I, I mean, it's, you are like, polar opposite a lot you know i like you I know hope. you're not I, I hope so you know you I've really given I, it, i've given that plenty of thought as the as the years go by where it's like i'll catch myself never saying something as obnoxious as the characters but you know getting mad about something and being a little pithy and being like it's a blurred line sometimes <laughs> yeah 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 but you know it's it's always shtick or there's an irony there when you're doing it right in that way but you're not I mean, because some people, some people, their comedic, you know, sort of identity is, you know, like a, a version of themselves, you right. know, and like a lot of the characters that they do are kind of like amped up versions of different parts of their personality. But so much of what you do, like you're not a boastful guy. You don't have like some huge high opinion of yourself. Like you're not like a sexist pig, you, you know, you're not. Well, you know, you, you don't, you're not combative with people like, you you know, and those, all these characters are just so, just so out there. I mean, is, do, is it, do you think maybe there's something about them that you like, like you like how unguarded they are? That's an interesting, funny question. I mean, yeah, there may be, I mean, someone, I don't know. I, I, I haven't given it that much thought, Yeah, um, but maybe there is something to that. Like just people who are actually like that. And you always like, even playing councilman jam on parks and rec it always felt like no one's this big of an asshole yeah and then especially and i don't want this to get political but especially with the trump years it's like oh there actually are total fucking assholes like yeah, that absolutely and now they've all and they've all been empowered to say whatever the fuck they want yeah and so it's a real bummer 
Hi, I'm John Lovett, host of Love It or Leave It. Every week, I'm joined live on stage by incredible guests to break down the biggest and dumbest stories in politics and pop culture. And now, because there's too much news for just one show, join me and my friends, also known as beloved producers who have to be there, every Tuesday for a rundown of the latest headlines to help get you through another flawless week in our perfect society. Listen to episodes of Love It or Leave It wherever you get your podcasts, or catch the funniest moments on the Love It or Leave It YouTube channel. I'm Phoebe Judge, host of the podcast, This Is Love. Stories about love and all of the surprising forms it can take. Like a man who finds a baby on a subway platform. A woman who spends most of her time alone until a fox starts coming around. And in one of my favorite episodes, we meet a man who forgot his wife and had to get to know her and fall in love all over again. Listen to new episodes of This Is Love wherever you get your podcasts. Can't you tell my love's a grow? What, what first brought you to New York? And I mean, and how did that happen? Because you were in Chicago doing Second City. Um, right. And then what was the first gig that brought you there? Dana Carvey brought me to New York. Dana Carvey show, uh, writing job. And how, and how did you get that job? You know, I ended up, I auditioned for the show. Yeah. Um, Smigel was the executive producer. And, you know, I had, this was 1995 and there was a big SNL audition that summer. Mm-hmm. So a lot, and I was doing main stage at the time and a lot of us, you know, everybody auditioned. And yeah. so I didn't get it, but I, you know, I got to go to New York and go through the audition process and all that. Didn't get it. Didn't get offered a writing job and Smigel, because he had the relationship at SNL, he asked for all the audition tapes so he could look at it. He really liked mine. He was friends with Tom Giannis, who was the director of Second City uh, at right. the sh- at, of the show I did. And he yep. got in touch with Tom and said, hey, tell Glazer I liked his audition. Have him do that for his audition. So that was kind of exciting. Did that for the audition. Didn't get hired, but they did ask if I was interested in submitting as a writer. And I had never thought of myself as a writer, ever. And yeah. it, this one just felt like I can't, you know, if it was a sitcom, I might have said, no. But this just felt like I have to try here. It's too big yeah. of a, too cool of an opportunity. And so I just wrote some sketches at home and just tried to think of whatever and wrote them up. And I think um, they flew me out for an interview in November. And I remember it was, it was at the time Smigel, Louis, Dino, and Mike Stoyanov. Louis C.K., Dino Stamatopoulos. Dino Stamatopoulos, Mike Stoyanov. They were the only guys there. And so I met those guys and it was just like hanging out and shooting the shit. And that was it. And then I yeah. back to New York probably that night and, or to Chicago. Didn't hear anything. This is in November, probably before Thanksgiving. Didn't hear anything to the end of the year. Assumed I didn't have it. Didn't get it. The new year comes and goes. I'm, we're starting to rehearse a new Second City show with Mick Napier. So I was yeah. actually really excited. He's a, for listeners that don't know, very legendary improv instructor founded the annoyance theater really talented guy and i was excited to do a show with him and then i got a call we were rehearsing i get a call hey there's a phone call for you in the office and they were telling me i got hired and had to be there a week wow i packed up my shit flew there had some friends drive it for me and so yeah that's how i started living in new york pretty crazy yeah and and between Dana Carvey and and Late Night, there was no interruption or no. I had two writing jobs in between. 
because after Dana Carvey, which was short-lived, you know, I yeah. decided to stay in New York for a little bit and try to get hired at SNL, maybe as a writer, and that didn't happen. And I tried getting hired at Conan. That took, I think, three rounds of oh, submitting. Did it? Yeah. yeah, but, you know, Smigel was really helpful getting my stuff shown and, you know, working on a packet. And then I ended up getting a couple jobs in LA, so I moved there at the end of 96 and lived there for all of 97 and then the winter of 98 and i moved back here in april 98 for conan and been here since yeah what when you left conan did you have the deal to do delocated or did you no i just no. left conan because i you know it had just run its course it, it got to the point where i felt like this is just the time and how long had it I, been it was almost five it was five years almost to the day uh -huh. Um, so it's a pretty good chunk of time. And I also knew that I wanted to pursue acting and kind of try to get back into that if I could. Yeah. And, you know, also get out before I was really just, well, I, I can't leave now. Like if I had a family yeah. or kids or just being there for so long, there's so many benefits, but you know, I was not enjoying it as much, you know, and it was always a great job, but the gap, you know, between how fun and the annoying stuff where it was really wide at first, it just was like neck and neck and it would never yeah. go the other way. It was always just going to hover like this. And yeah. so I just left to try to do whatever was next and delocated came up several years later where okay. I kind of just wanted to try to do something with that character, not the specific joke that I did on Conan, but more the general archetype and this smug asshole, which was more yeah. of the focus of the guy. Um, rather than the Joker. And even though on Conan that, you know, the impressionist, he still had that hyper confidence and that smugness to him. And he was a hack. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that was still the driving thrust for the guy as a human being. So that, and that was where that came from was, and for people that don't know, you used to do a bit where you were an impressionist who was in the witness protection program. Right. Correct. And that was something that was actually in my packet for Conan. I just had oh, this okay. idea. And I had actually done it live um, in LA at a couple of shows where I just had like a vocal harmonizer that I would plug into the mic and then plug into an amp. So when I talked in the mic, the garbled voice came out of the amp. Yeah. So I was doing that guy live who was just, you know, the smug impressionist that thought his impressions were so good that he was going to risk yeah. his life to go out to do an open mic night. And yeah, do these yeah. shitty fucking impressions. But yeah. they all sounded like that. That was yeah, a yeah. dumb joke. Yeah. But he was real smug, really arrogant. Um, and that's where Delocated sort of came from is wanting, like, I just loved doing that character so much. He was so yeah, fun yeah. to play this kind of dick. Yeah. And, and you know, even that, like, pitched it to Comedy Central first. They said no. And then that was a year or so later when Adult Swim was kind of starting to become this big thing and they were just starting to do live action so it was really good timing it was an amazing cast too i mean you had the i just i just had zoe lister jones on on this podcast and uh eugene merman was in it kevin dorf was in it uh you know really you know you got great people to be in that and it was it was also like there was something that i loved about because reality tv was kind of newish and just the notion of, you know, it was just, it was interesting to be like, 
I'm exposing everything, but I can't expose anything. And it just, yeah. and it, you know, and doing this might kill me like that. Was, you know, just, it was the stakes of it were just interesting because it was all, you know, the notion that it's real, but it's not real. And, you know, it was all very timely and very, I, I you know, I wish it was on a bigger network, you know, cause I feel like, I mean, are there a lot of people, well, first of all, do people even know that it's you? Like, do they, like, I imagine even if you had a big hit show, nobody would know because you had a ski mask on the entire show, right? Pretty much. I mean, you know, people that I, I got recognized once, which I thought was hilarious, where I was at like a Vietnamese sandwich shop and at the register paying and the guy's looking at me. He's like, are you the guy from Delocated? And I just started laughing. I'm like, yeah, how, how, how did you tell? Because it's not like you recognize the voice because the voice yeah. is modulated, pitched down. He's like, just tell your eyes, you know? So even just from, wow. the, because the eye holes in the mask were pretty big, which yeah. I think helped for, you know, the expressiveness of the quiet sure. moments, but it was really, really, really funny that someone actually did recognize me from that. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, as far as the whole genesis of the show it was just, you know, reality TV, which I think is mostly awful. You know, just fame, people that are fame whores. It's just disgusting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's disgusting. Has has it been hard remaining in New York? You, you know, it, it, the notion, uh, you know, people will say to me, Who, who's still in New York? And it's kind of like you and like three other people. Everybody seems to have come to L.A. And I, I, I guess I want to just kind of know what it's like to continue working in comedy, both as an actor and as, as a, you know, a producer of things, as an author of things and, and doing it from New York and whether you feel it, it's a benefit or a, or a, a detriment. I think it's, you know, I, it certainly is harder. I think, you know, yeah. I just made a decision and then I kind of got lucky where I was able to, you know, I wanted to, when I quit Conan, spend a little time here. I didn't want to just move to LA. I wanted to just be in New York and maybe see if I could get anything going here. You know, I really, as much as I get sick of living here, like I've had one foot out the door probably for a couple decades, you know, or at yeah, least yeah. 10 years of just, but things worked out very fortunately as far as getting to make my own thing and then getting to make another show and then my gear show. And yeah. So as far as getting on a really fortunate role of work, which then included some other supplemental things like, you know, doing parks and rec, which was in LA. Yeah. Uh, I would fly back and forth for that. Yeah. And, and then girls so I, was, yeah. Girls was here and I auditioned yeah. for that. I didn't know them, um, yeah. but it's harder. I think just because the majority of stuff is in LA, it's easier to get just like one-off jobs. Yeah. Not that, not that they're plentiful, but there is more than here, but yeah. you know, that's just the way things worked out. And at some point the kids were, I have two kids and they were, I think old enough that it wouldn't have felt right to just let's uproot and right. move across country. Cause for me, yeah, we almost did though. Like in 2014, we seriously, I remember we talked it. about it at one point, I think. Well, it came from this really shitty thing where we were living in a brownstone that we were renting. Like I've never owned a place, which is another thing. Like oh, I wish I should have done this and should have done this. Like yeah, it's one yeah. of those. And I'm pretty much better now about not even indulging that because it's a waste of time. 
Yeah. Like, you know, we never bought a place years ago. We've been renting and that drives me nuts, even though there's always pros and cons and blah, blah, blah. But sure. we, we did have this shitty mishap, like a really terrifying thing where the ceiling in our brownstone in our apartment collapsed one night in oh. the kid's room. And oh. I don't even, I don't even know. My daughter was one and a half at the time. She's in her crib. She's got debris. It was the only way it would have been worse is if she was hurt. And somehow, I don't know how she was not. Yeah. But that was at the time, this is like in the spring and it was in between work, not really knowing what's going on. A lot of talk at home about, should we make sure we to LA? Cause the kids were at this point still young enough that we could probably do it. Like yeah. my son would have been finishing up elementary school, starting a new school anyway. And that felt like a sign. Like that's New York saying time to go. Yeah. And we did, we, like it got contentious with our landlord. He turned into a cheap piece of shit, how he dealt with it. He was a fucking asshole. So we put our stuff in storage. We couch hopped to finish out the year because wow. we, because we knew we were maybe we were considering moving. We didn't want to yeah. get an apartment. It was really not fun. It was so stressful. We had a dog in a wheelchair that was basically on her last legs, massively stressful. And you know, we ended up going to LA at the end of the school year and we were there for three weeks. And within a week, we felt like this just feels too like emotional and angry to move like this. Yeah. And if, if you we weren't found, doing it for a good reason, it just felt weird. It didn't feel yeah. right. Now, if we had found like, oh my God, this is a perfect place to live in a great school zone. We might've probably would have done it. Yeah, but we looked. We looked at a few places, and then right away felt like we don't even have the time to go look at apartments. You know, it's just you have to get lucky like that. So we right yeah. away decided, let's go back to New York. Let's see how things go. We can always find the time to move here, and then we just stayed because then, like Neon Joe happened, and then Gear happened. How the kids are too old to really realistically up and move and start with new friends and school. So. It's just been one of these things that on a day-to-day basis, when it is harder being here rather than LA work-wise, I just resign myself to it because, you know, there's plenty of benefits. I still do love living here. We live very close to Prospect Park, which has, and this is going to sound super fucking corny, like it has become a total like sanctuary for me of just peace you know, I've yeah. gotten into trail running in the last like five, six years and Prospect Park is actually surprisingly extensive as far as trails. Even if yeah. you want to go for a long hike, you can, there's a pretty extensive trail system in there. And I'm just talking about for a park of that size in the middle right. of Brooklyn, you can feel like you're in the woods Yeah, and it's been so beneficial to me mentally just to go on like one hour, two hour long trail runs or a long yeah. hike. And now that we have a dog again and our dog, just the dog we got, he was a rescue. He happens to be a very athletic dog. He loves to run. He loves to climb. And so for me, I lucked out. Now I've got yeah. this running buddy and it's just, you know, I just love dogs. And so I'll spend hours in that park. Especially, you yeah. know, with the weird way we make a living where there's long gaps of nothing. Yeah. Where you got to do, do something with your time. Yeah. 
I mean, listen, I should be being a little more proactive right now. And I am. It's not like I'm in there all day. <laughs> Just, yeah, yeah. Well, see it. <laughs> Where's see it daddy? Dinner. Yeah. It's <laughs> sunset. Well, what do you, uh, I mean, uh, what's the future? What, what kind of future are you, are you hoping for? Are you looking forward to? You know, in a, in, an, in a perfect world, it would be more time in the woods. Maybe get a place upstate if we could ever swing that. I would just yeah. really love to, you know, between, you know, hiking and running. And I've also gotten really into what's called gravel cycling, which is basically just like it's, it's not mountain biking, but it's off-road bicycling on more of a road-style mm-hmm. frame with thicker tires and easier gearing for hills and the rough terrain. And I can even do that in the park. It's nothing like getting out of the city. Right. I can go for good rides on those same trails. I mean, I get so much, the benefits for me for just, you know, exercise and nature and having my dog and all that. So I hope the future entails a lot of time in nature. Yeah. Uh, that would be just the best. What, and also uh, being here, like where it's a little more green, I do like that as opposed to LA. And I know that's accessible. But for me, having that right in my basically backyard, it's pretty great. Par- Prospect yeah. Park is just the absolute best. Well, uh, is that it? Is that the questions? Is that three? No, no. Here's, here comes the last one. Check it out. What have you learned? What's, what's, right, the, what's the moral of the John Glazer story? I guess, you know, part of it is certainly what we were talking about before, you know, to not, you know, to not be so agitated all the time about everything and to try to roll with things a little better. And, um, as we, as we become speechless with anger and frustration, Oh my God, it's, it's, it's a constant challenge. I mean, you know, but it is like, it's a big part of that is just figuring out what brings you joy, trying to get rid of the detritus. Is that the extra, like the things that just, that, you know, yeah, trim the fat and all that, and just focus on finding. I mean, it's uh, it just sound, you can't help but sound like an asshole. You find the joy in your life, but it is. It's just yeah, you know, finding out what really uh, how you what what can you best the best use of your time. And do I want to spend my days being pissed off about everything? And no, so it's just you know, as I've gotten older, it's hoping for more of that. Um. Is that what the question was? Where you go? What? Oh, what have you learned? So it's just a lot of that. Just um, yeah, trying to maintain more of an even keel. Um, yeah, not worry about things so much, which is obviously easier said than done. But I have found just being more conscious of that kind of thing, and you know, getting in the mental habit of kind of monitoring yourself and make sure you're being more aware of the times when I could choose to go down the road of like god damn it fuck all this and not doing that yeah and it takes time and practice to start getting to that mindset but it's certainly helpful so i hope it's just a lot of that a lot of time on on my bike my kids with my dog with my family and all that shit and just yeah i don't know man just trying not to worry so much maybe that's the thing well, uh, John, thank you so much for taking the time. It's good talking to yeah, you. Of course. Hope to see you soon. Um, anyway, thanks All for right, listening, Andy. everybody. And uh, thanks for talking to me, John. And uh, I'll be back next week, all of you people out there, with another three questions. The Three Questions with Andy Richter is a Team Coco production. 
It is produced by Sean Doherty and engineered by Rich Garcia. Additional engineering support by Eduardo Perez and Joanna Samuel. Executive produced by Nick Liao, Adam Sachs, and Jeff Ross. Talent booking by Paula Davis, Gina Batista, with assistance from Maddie Ogden. Research by Alyssa Grawl. Don't forget to rate and review and subscribe to The Three Questions with Andy Richter wherever you get your podcasts. And do you have a favorite question you always like to ask people? Let us know in the review section. Can't you tell my love's a-growing? Can't you feel it ain't a-showing? Oh, you must be a-knowing. I've got a big, big love. This has been a Team Coco production. <laughs>